Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm Steve Smith, flying alone. We do have the legendary Vic Braden director's chair. The back of that chair, well over 50 years old. Tonight, our guest is the legend of John Posey. Posey is a former student. His name comes up quite often because of his work ethic. So many things, low maintenance, humble, humble, humble. Everybody loves Posey. He does have a first name, but we just go with Posey. Sam Garcia, one of our longtime students, he's in Vero Beach, calls me up, says, got a great kid. He made the lineup at his Division three school as a freshman, Bowden up in Maine, beautiful school. And he was cut sophomore year. And he doesn't want to go out on those terms. Can he come hang out with you? And he took a year off and a lot of great stories within the, the Posey legend that he went back, made the lineup, played all three years. Posey. We worked that entire year. He's a two-hander. Went three days before he went back for the tryout to make the lineup. He said, I think I'm going to be a one-hander because I love Roger Federer. And I said, no, 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 no. And he, he did go back and play as a two-hander. But now a lot of years have gone by. And I do think the legend Posey has a beautiful one-handed backhand. We have to get that on film, share it with our, our guests. Let me call him up, get him on the line. And I see if I could use my phone, same as always, the dinosaur who has no technological skills. Let's see. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Please, please, please. Not coming up. And now I have it. Calling Sharon, Connecticut. John Posey, son of Sam and Ellen Posey. Great parents. Amazing, amazing parents. We'll talk to him about his parents. Sister, too. Judy. Hey. John Posey, the legend of Posey. How's our sound? How's our sound? Can you hear us? The sound, sound is great. That's a, that's a good start to the to the show there. Posey, Posey, Posey. You're in Sharon, Connecticut. Um, let's just start. I just said great parents. Uh, we'll just go quick. Start. Tell us. Uh, tell the listeners about the race car driver and so many other things. The author, painter, architect. You, you know. Yeah, he had a lot of. This is my dad here. Uh, he had a lot of different uh, phases there. The Renaissance man. Career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah, sort of, sort of nuts when I when I ask him about different stuff he did. I it's like I feel like I would have taken like one of the careers, you know. <laughs> he had a, he had about five of them. With yeah. uh, with the Greeks um, in America, we say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. The Greeks say it falls under the tree, but your dad, very quiet, humble guy like yourself, but uh, <laughs> award-winning as far as these awards, those awards, Emmys. Uh, um, yeah, he won, a, he won a couple Emmys. Um, that was that was for the, the TV, obviously. Uh, I read his autobiography. That you said it was written before you were born. Um, tell us about what other books. I know you're a writer. We'll talk a little bit about that. I guess I should. Uh, I guess I should do this first. But think about that question, and I apologize. Is that why Posey's a legend? Because he hit the backboard all day, every day, 
Um, I mean, what comes down it comes down to the plank. It comes down to the iron V. Uh, Posey's a lot of people's number one uh, from the time that you spent with us. I think it were Raven Claussen, Roberto Calla. There's uh, Brandon Flanagan. Where I'm sitting in the facility that he established, designed the FM Boynton, the FM Tennis Performance Center in Boynton. But yeah, go back to the you, books. You guys, uh, you guys got a lot of number ones down there, including all three of those guys. Yeah. Let's go with the writing. Um, the artistic side, your mother's the artist too. Uh, yeah, she uh, she did. She started out like a photographer, illustrator, worked for Sports Illustrated, and um, she shot a... She actually shot a, a Sports Illustrated cover with uh, with Billie Jean King on it, um, so that was kind of cool. She got a she got a serving lesson from from Navratilova. Wow! She was like twenty five or something. She was like at the time she was like I don't, I'm not really interested in this tennis, you know. <laughs> uh, now she's like, oh God, if I could go back and you know have that again. Actually, Brandon, uh, I'll have a photo taken sent to you. Brandon has it's amazing setup he has just the decor the the art work that's on the wall but he has a cover many sports illustrated covers and one is definitely maybe more than one but one is definitely a billy jean king yeah maybe maybe it's hers yeah she did uh she did borg's logo that was that was pretty cool um they had her like i think they they told her like her his management company was like the the ones who sort of sponsored the story or something they were like well, just like he's going to be in New York for a day, I guess it was around the open. They were like, just take him around, whatever he wants to do, you know. So she asked him, thinking like it's in Times Square or something. He's like, he just wanted to ride the subways. So they just rode. <laughs> they spent like three hours riding riding subways together. Wow. Uh, that's a great story. That's pretty cool. I tell your mom, in setting this call up, I had a chance to talk to her. Ellen, she... I'm reminded of your mom when I'm in a grocery store and I see this, the spaghetti sauce has got uh, John Newman's mug. Your mother. Uh, oh, oh, Paul Newman. Yeah. Paul, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul. Oh, shoot me. Shoot me. Shoot me. Paul Newman. Boy. Senior moment. Paul Newman. What a legend. The stand, yeah. The stand, yeah. Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid. Yeah. No, but uh, for the listeners, uh, next time you look at one of the jars, uh, John's mother did that. Uh, I did tell her, I mean, John Newman, Paul Newman. Um, I was working at Vic's place, Vic Braden, and teaching a group of ladies. And there's, they didn't show in the afternoon. I go in the pro shop, and there's a note. It says, Steve, uh, we're not going to come this afternoon. We're going to be down at the bottom of the hill where there were horses watching Paul Newman ride horses. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, being a, a kid from a really small town upstate New York, I go, Paul Newman, the legend. And anyway... I didn't stay as long as they did, but I did go and, and watch him ride horses. Did you think of him as a legend, or, or was it you weren't as familiar? No, 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 no for certainly. He was, uh, the, I remember being a little kid uh, with my parents, um, uh, the youngest of six. Uh, you know, I can remember it was just, uh, I was the only one at home. Everybody else had gone away to school and went to see the sting with my parents. No, I mean everybody knew Paul, everybody knew Paul Newman. I I remember stories that I heard from uh, your mother and father. One was uh, when he was at Yale. He, there was a scene where he had to cry, but his uh, his buddies came in, 
And the person in charge yeah. charge of the play basically said, hey, you can't perform right now. Either you cry right now, we don't care about your buddies, your machoism, and uh, or you don't have the part. And Yes, I remember that. That was a great story. He did it, and, and he was like, that's when he he thought he he became an actor, you know, when he realized it was, he was, he was committing to it instead of before that he was like, it was a cool thing to do. And then, yeah, that, yeah. that sort of flipped it for him. Man. But yeah, your connection with your family connection is he like your dad was a race car driver. Yes. Yeah. He, uh, he and my dad actually drove together for a while. He, uh, they did some, some TV, um, couple, couple things for Budweiser, you know, sponsored. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he was, <laughs> was actually kind of inspiration to me because my dad told me he was really not a talented driver. You know, he, uh, he started out in this little sort of boxy Dotson and he go to like our local track and he just sort of beat around the course for hours. And my dad was like his, his theory from his own experience was if you didn't have the speed, you couldn't really learn that, you know, you could maybe learn to be, to be more consistent, stop making mistakes and stuff. But if you didn't have that sort of natural speed, it, 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 it wasn't going to come, you know? And, uh, and he said, Paul just like slowly chipped away and he didn't take the approach you sort of expect a guy like that might just get the biggest, most powerful car you could get and try to just win on, on machinery, you know, he just, he wanted to be good. And, and my dad said he, he achieved it, but it took him like, like six, seven years of just sort of solitary practice out there before he really kind of no, figured out what he was doing. For our listeners, I mean, that formula, it's just amazing. If someone wants to be a really good tennis player, it's, it's, um, how's it go? It's, um, to be an extraordinary player, you have to do the ordinary and extraordinary amount of times. But I remember in the first book, right. the, the dad, your dad's autobiography, I think Mudge Pond Express. Is that right? Is that the name? That's it. Right, right. That there was a lot written about, you know, I mean, if your your dad was off in New Zealand going all over the world where you, I mean, you, you took your car with you and you took more than one engine with you. and you're, it was, I mean, just the logistics of it to me are sort of mind-blowing, you know. I, <laughs> I didn't even know how he got to the races, you know, let alone the, the driving part, but yeah. You know, the term crew, I mean, it's it's kind of like Roger Federer has a crew. I mean, he has an entourage. He's, he's, so many people yeah, help, helping yeah. him out. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was, it was primitive, sim- primitive back then, you know. It's just a couple guys and your mechanic and your, you know, maybe an engine guy. And that was like, I mean, compared to today's pro racing, I mean, they got they got countries behind them, you know, but yeah. No, cover to cover. I read that book. I didn't read cover to cover the book on, uh, railroads. Tell us about you and your dad and the railroad. Uh, okay. There's not much to say there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. He started the first one when I was like, when I was born pretty much. Uh, and, uh, he sort of, he steadily expanded it until the final, uh, the final layout takes up our, our basement. It's about it's about half the length of a tennis court, I'd say, <laughs> uh, and extremely detailed, insanely detailed, you could say. Uh, yeah, he 
So we're not talking about the railroad. Railroad is, is uh, you know, what, what do you, how do you say little kid railroad? Um, toy no, no, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, toy railroad, I mean. Train, train layout, toy railroad, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was about, about two or three years he was, he was in the basement working on that thing for like four hours a day or something. <laughs> yeah. and, and recently you uh, helped your dad with another book? Uh, yeah, he got a, he, he just came out with it. Um, it's kind of like, it's called uh, Sam's Scrapbook, I guess. It's like a sort of, kind of like photos uh, with captions, kind of same materials the, the the first one, but just shorter and kind of looking back on yeah his career and all that stuff yeah actually uh Vic Braden he did the same thing his last book um I think the title of the book could be wrong but um if I'm 82 why do I feel like I'm 22 and then it was, <laughs> and it was uh many many photos with captions and um I remember you know Vic contacting me and I helped him with who was who, the, some of the people that he met. Um, he, he could probably fill about 20 books. How many do you think he ended up writing? Um, well, there's Vic Braden for the Future is edited for our listeners, Tennis 2000. There's Vic Braden Mental Tennis. There's Vic Braden Quick Fix, Quick Fixes. And I just think that, I think that's it. Um, um, you and I've talked I remember about you it. told me to get the two, Tennis 2000 when I was there, and I, I read that one start to start to finish. And our listeners should know Posey, uh, pretty high SAT scores. I always tease where Posey could be on a snowstorm in a blizzard, and he could still read. <laughs> but you and I have talked about it. I know with your writing, we'll get into that more, but uh, it still should be done, Posey. Uh, we should write a book together, Vic Braden. Um, Vic Braden, help me out with the title. Vic Braden. I wasn't missed and misunderstood. No, yeah, you're right. Vic Braden. Something like that. Vic Braden is missed and was missed. There you go. Vic Braden is missed. Yeah. Vic Braden, the person, anybody knew him. He was just, just perfect as perfect could be. Um, that's my phone, listeners. I apologize. Beeping in. We messed up again. That's all right. We're amateurs. But no, Vic, <laughs> Vic Braden, uh, again, I apologize. Um, I, sh- I should be able to uh, just turn that off, but I don't want to lose you. Vic Braden um, is missed, and Vic Braden was missed, meaning that is, and it's still too. It's not late. We're trying to do that through the Great Base. Vic's our cornerstone is to circle back because it's fact-based instruction. The tennis courts it's still nineteen point one degrees wide. I mean, water still runs downhill, not uphill, and um. Yeah, that's a book that we need to write, Posey. Do Do you think people are getting more into that kind of analysis that he did started doing so early now? I mean, I feel like even just watching commentary, it's like it seems like people are talking about stuff a little more in statistical terms than. Well, I think no, stats, I, I do think stats. We had Warren Pretorius on as a guest, definitely with tennis analytics. With, you know, Bill Jacobson, we founded CompuTennis. Uh, we had a connection with Bill where we even helped with telecast. But um, 
Not so much with technique. I think the analytics that really need to be cover, yeah, yeah. covered are grip swing body. I don't think that in this country, for sure, that Joe Public is really learning much about tennis when they watch tennis. In all fairness to the commentators, I, I, I'd like to listen to anybody talk about tennis because you can always learn. But no, I'd say the nuts and bolts for stroke production are not there. Um, you know, right, they're, right, they're right. Not, they're not really talking about how curious is so far out to the right and so far in, in front. And if you're over your head, you know, what happens, uh, you, know, you have to change the angle of the racket pass and the racket slows down. And we had Gideon Ariel on as a guest and he was Vic's partner and you just go back 50 years and you know, they just stand the test of time. I should say fundamentals are what Vic and, and Gideon stood for. Um, but no, that's where, again, the title of the book, Vic Braden, you could even say Vic Braden, the man is missed and Vic Braden, the resource was missed. Um, you know, and, and granted there's people who, uh, you know, certainly know some Bradenisms, but you know, there's a few of us left that live the book. There's one thing to read the book, but another thing to actually live the book. Um, right, right, right. You know, Vic, is, I would say, he had so much information that he was the most misinterpreted. Uh, plus, his, his presentation was yeah. overwhelming. He was so funny that people would remember the presentation and not the information. Um, and, I always, uh, you told me people would sort of dismiss him because he, he was just this sort of you know, a vuncular guy and, you know, he, he, he kind of, he didn't take himself too seriously. So people didn't think of him as, you know, a, a sort of pro level. He, he, he was more like a, well, his, his laugh and win a doubles. I remember, you know, my mom got me that when I was like <laughs> 15 you, and we were you, playing our club doubles tournament. Actually, that's stand corrected. That is another book. Uh, the doubles book, um, the tape he had, 1975, one take, mixed doubles is a fantastic adventure. Uh, everything, on that, <laughs> everything on that tape still stands the test of time, not only for mixed doubles, but for doubles, because doubles is doubles. But if people go back to our, yeah. our podcast, I think we have three of them with Andy Fitzell, who no one spent more time with Vic the last 10 years of his, 10 years of his life besides his widow, Melody. But the dummy that I am... Um, I volunteered in the in the mid seventies, Boca Raton Tennis Association, and I showed that film over and over again. You know, I have to rewind it and reload it, and it was I don't know sixteen millimeter, maybe an eight millimeter, but it was reel to reel, and so I must have watched it ten times. And you know, then it was like to this day we're talking to Austin Krychek, who you probably practiced with when he was little. He was a guest last week, yeah, and you know, he, he, he both mostly plays the the deuce court, lefty in the middle, and that the deuce court player gets more shots. The point starts there, and you know the right hander who's been mistaught eighty five percent of them on the forehand volley being strong continental elbow in balls going to the deuce court. They're running around their backhand, pulling horizontally, goes to the deuce court. So left field, you know the right the kid in right field. And I think that people, the people listen, it's like, okay, I've heard that last week, but it's just reinforcement. Um, all the way, all the way to the top, the macho male ego puts himself in the ad court and saves, uh, you know, now it's a two-handed backhand for yeah. most players, but years ago it was a one-hander. The man pulls horizontally and he has a better chance of going cross-court. But the woman who played the deuce court 
with a one-handed backhand day in the day, and it's tough for the two-hander, but you really have to be able to swing inside out. You know, that's something too. Which that, is the it's the harder shot, right? I yeah, always yeah. feel like if you don't like the backhand, you want to play the hat side, you know, or it's people put you on the dude side so you can hit a forehand. It's kind of you know, and coming back funny. coming back to TV. Um, you know, now inside out means you're going to run around your backhand and hit a forehand, and then you're inside inside outside inside, and that's all correct related to a target. So you can say tactically, okay, but inside out is a technical term. You swing from close to way, and that's the only way you can hit true topspin. So Posey, we got to have you write that book. <laughs> yeah, there, was, uh, there was a children's book we wanted to write too. We give all the our ideas out. That's all we do. Is uh, I think I still got that in a, in a folder somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the coloring book. Yeah. But, but now, I mean, I was, I was in a meeting. Someone said kids don't use crayons anymore. Um, but, yeah, that, it could be a hard sell. I don't know. But I think that's one of the reasons to do it. Uh, but, you know, where a kid actually takes the crayons and you you can, you know, have a little message in the corner of the of the page where they're coloring a tennis court for the tennis parent, another corner for the tennis pro, then for the kid. And I just think that's where, uh, you know, we have to really go back to, you know, teaching basics. Um that's that's where I think we're really struggling. Okay, that reminds me of something I wanted to wanted to ask you, which is, I remember when I first got there, you were you were talking about how, you know, I don't know, everybody's saying that pro tennis, you 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 can't really play an all court style the way you could. Maybe well, this is now twenty years ago, but people are saying then twenty years ago. Um, just because, you know, the the rackets, the, the the strings, you know, it's just balls coming too fast, and you just can't can't volley. And and I remember you had a, a interesting sort of uh, alternative explanation for why you don't see a lot of pros doing that, and it was that you don't see juniors doing it because obviously when you're 12, you can't you, know, you can't be charging the net and win a lot of matches, you know. And the emphasis that had gone up on winning early, and if and that's how you got the money and the coaching to advance. And so when you got to the pros, the guys who got there didn't have those skills, you know. Um, and to me, that was really a sort of fascinating alternative explanation. It suggested you could still you could still play that way if you trained to play that way from twelve on, you know. But I, I just uh, I want to know what you thought about tennis right now versus 20 years ago when we were talking about that um because to me it seems like it's coming a bit your way i mean guys like this guy cressy you know have have you seen him play no cressy he spent three weeks with us um really with uh matt clore andy fitzell uh matt was the national coach of the state now he's at florida uh that's how it started is that his, I get to get it right. His mother's a volleyball player, played I think at USC, and he's a he's a he went to UCLA. After that, I, I love this. Uh, they interviewed his his teammate. I think the guy who played one on the team, and the guy was like, "People don't realize like how bad he was." You know, <laughs> they're like, "This yeah. guy is like well, the most improved player in tennis history." It was like he he didn't just lose; he lost like oh and oh, you know, and and now he's like. Is it Wimbledon? I mean, no, it's, no, it's it's an amazing story. Amazing. Yeah, that must have been Mackenzie McDonald. 
It might have been Giron, uh, Marcus Giron, I believe. I, I, don't I think it was Giron. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but my son Connor, they, he won a few doubles tournaments with Giron. Uh, but yeah, Mc, um, Mackenzie McDonald, he spent three weeks with us during the pandemic. He said the same thing. Now, Cressy, the story is that he was recruited. Well, let me go back to his mother's American, his father's French. And both the USTA, the USTA want him, okay, we want this guy in our corner now. And then the French Tennis Federation, oh, we want this guy in our corner now. And Marcos Baghdad has told him that he needed to go with his French coach. And so, um, you know, that was a decision he made. But at that time, uh, you know, he wanted Andy Fitzell to travel full time. And all the all the circumstances, you know, Andy just, um, we've been recently married and, you know, still married with his wife, Leo. Uh, but Cressy, uh, to me, you know, he could give all of tennis a lesson. The work ethic, for sure, uh, that he was recruited. They thought, okay, he could definitely play three doubles. Um, but that his, especially his forehand was so bad. But he worked so hard, and he was just relent- relentless. That And he does have an amazing work ethic. But also to his tactics, though. I mean, I get a little discouraged when, you know, he's really – almost like the lone wolf serving volley. In. Yeah, but at least there, there, there is one. I mean, I think it's kind of, it's something that, that the guy's actually first and second serve coming in every, every time, you know, I mean. I, yeah, no, first and second with, uh, but, you know, and also too, he's trying to play a deep volley. You know, he's trying to play the three shot combination. And I, I love, to watch, uh, I love to watch Curios' serve. I mean, he puts people in the seats. But he's not really coming in and sticking the volley. You know, he, I don't think he, um, I mean, Max Max doesn't serve as well as, I don't think anyone right now is serving as well as as Kyrgios. But, but, you know, then when you just come back to doubles, I mean, please. The tennis court's 36 feet wide. You divide it in half, it's 18. If you've got an aggressive partner, you only have to really cover 15 feet. And, you know, the rackets say, oh, it's 27 inches, but just say two feet. Racket same length as your arm. That's two feet. That's so you just reach out. It's four feet. You take a step. Right now that's seven feet. You really can cover the fifteen feet. Um, but you know, then the math. You know, people come in and they're number number one reason people don't go to the net is brain memory. They don't go to the net. If you don't go, you don't go, and you don't develop the instincts. But then two is, you know, people years ago weren't really that well taught. Um, but because the rackets were made of wood and, the, and there were every three out of the four grand slams were on grass. Um, but, you know, now I actually think it's in people would be in agreement that people are much closer to a composite in between a continental grip and a forehand on the, on the forehand volley. And they have the same grip on the backhand volley. Like Nadal really goes way down in the backhand volley. You know, and I agree with McEnroe. He's one of the best volleyers because he. You know, what, he's, what he does preceding the volley and how close, you know, he's so explosive closing in. There's, when there's hang time, he's just in. So you think his grip is not, is not so ideal there, but he, but he sort of makes up for it. Yeah, and our listeners, I mean, it's not like we're telling Nadal you should change his grip at this stage of the game, but no, it's not. Right. It's not thinking Nadal about it. would probably do it if he thought there was something to be gained, you know? <laughs> yeah, he probably would. He can run yeah. through, through walls, but it's, yeah. it's not really thinking about the grip. It's, it's, this is what the grip is. You know, everybody's hands are a little bit different, the study of palmistry. But, you know, the angle of the racket face, the grip determines the angle of the racket face. So I just feel like guys are playing so so aggressive now that they're almost 
forced to come in. I mean, it's like it's it's a sort of way it's it's evolved. It's like I don't know. I just think they're coming in more than than maybe you know twenty years ago or something, where where everybody was sort of predicting yeah. it was going the other way that nobody would even approach the net. You know. Um, no, I was asked by a visiting student uh, of dad now, someone who I train to teach tennis, and he asked me if I, he thinks that my feelings are so strong about technique and the way people are playing based on I've been fighting battles for so long. You know, you're in the corner, and you know, here comes another kid. Right, right, right. And uh, they've taken tennis lessons, and they, their, their game really, from a technical standpoint, is a train wreck. Um, but no, I think with the, the volleying, uh, you know, you look at a Taylor Fritz, you know, some play against Rublev and the guy is playing awesome. Of course he serves so well, he returns well. So, I mean, some people say that's 80% of tennis. I mean, he's serving well, returning well. And, right. um, I'm just watching him play going, Oh my word, if this guy could come in and close off a volley, you know, he could win grand slams. I mean, he won Indian Wells, uh, he's beat it this player and that player. Um, so yeah, then, then it comes down to, you know, not to beat up an Andy Roddick. I mean, just to play the U S open, you're an amazing tennis player, but you know, you hear that one slam wonder Andy Roddick was the best tennis player in America for almost a decade. So I'm a big Andy Roddick fan, but could, yeah. could you imagine if he could have volleyed? And I, I think he wanted to, I remember I, I saw an interview with him one time, he said, my favorite shots are the shots nobody expects me to make. You know, when I come in and I hit a little touch shot that, you know, uh, I, I think he, he enjoyed that part of tennis, but nobody had taught him to do it. So he, he uh, I remember you said he was a gamer. He just sort of made, made the best of, of what he had. I, I think he was an amazing overachiever, but people, no, I mean, I, I remember, I remember reading Brad, Gilbert's first book is second time because Roddick had won something like 22 matches in a row. Um, I heard a Roddick quote. They said, how do you do it? And he said, I just pretend my mother's life is on the line. And, <laughs> um, but no, I think John Roddick, uh, I did some work training their tennis coaches at their academy a long time ago. And I saw John Roddick. Uh, he wasn't at the academy when I was there. He was traveling with uh, his brother, Andy, Jimmy Connors was in the loop at one time. And, and so I went up to John and said, hey, thanks for the opportunity to go to your academy. And I said, I used to coach against players that you played, uh, Chad Clark, uh-huh. Clayton Stanley, because I saw John Roddick as an 11, 12-year-old, and he said, victory or death. So, you know, I mean, there's so many, uh-huh. so many people to thank. I think Andy Roddick's parents, I heard so many great things about his parents through people I trained that were at the Roddick Academy. Um, but that's where... The will to win. Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Harold Solomon. We're working with his grandson, and you know what he had to say to these people we were coaching. If my teammates would play two hours, I played four. They ran, they ran an hour and a half. If they ran an hour, I ran an hour and a half. And I uh-huh. went to the gym every day. And so I, I really think it's the intangibles. But coming back to Max Cressy, you know, you need two things to be a serve and volley. You need a serve and a volley. And if you don't serve in volley, you're, you don't serve in volley. And to play doubles, um, I do think like you know, people could study what they're doing in Norway. I mean, why are they so successful in Norway? I do think, and that technology with the UTR and 
UTR, obviously there's positives, but it's not a rating. It's a ranking. If you're a 9.2 versus a 9.5, that's a ranking. And people want to win. They want want to win now. There's not long-term vision. Um, And tennis is a very difficult sport. We're we're being taken over by some racket sports right now. Tennis, obviously, I hear from a lot of people I train that are in the club business that because of the pandemic, more people are playing tennis. They're not playing collision or contact sports. Um, but huh. the, um, but no, uh, the service. Maybe it'll drive some people back from pickleball, you know, get, get some more distance between us, you know. <laughs> Actually, uh, I could save the sport. I, I am going to buy some pickleball rackets and send kids to the pickleball courts. I don't know if the adults. Are you really? The adults will appreciate that. I mean, I watch and I think it's a great, it's great for half volleys. It's great for volleys. It's all about going forward. Uh, all right. Well, if you're, if you're good at, if you're into it, I'll stop bashing it then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think that it's unfortunate they're, they're taking over tennis courts. Um, that, that's, that's the sad news, but, uh, I think if you can't beat them, join them. And, um, you know, out of the, yeah. out of the blue, someone called me up and told me that my son, Connor, who could play doubles well and good hands and such, um, uh, you spent years with him that, if he wanted to make some money, he should play pickleball. In fact, uh, someone who you know well is Ryler DeHart. Um, you can yeah. get on Facebook, and and he's he's playing pickleball. But, you know, there's a guy. Hello? Hey, still here. Yeah, so there was some. Sorry, listeners. I thought I lost you, Posey. Um, the, um, hang on. It, um, yeah, Ryler DeHart, though, he's the kind of guy he's got to always compete. You know, he needs the juice. He needs the juice, so. I think it's yeah, great. Yeah. Great that he's uh playing pickleball. Right the heart. I remember uh I remember you remember seeing him, well I'm sure you do, but uh I remember we saw him play uh you, you were in his box. Uh oh, I was with you. Gabe yeah, and you, I. yeah, you were in the stadium, yeah. We were at the very top of the stadium. Uh <laughs> see him play the doll in the second round. That was one of the great nights of my life, I think. Uh, uh I I was invited, Austin Krychik had won Kalamazoo, and so I'm at the Open. I mean, I've been at the Open so many times, and I'm usually there for some reason. I I don't recall too many times just being there as a fan, but I've been a bunch of times. And um, so, I, yeah, Ryler, he had to qualify. He won his first-round match, and I, I walked up behind him, and I go, you can't beat Jeff Lewis. You can't beat Jeff Lewis. <laughs> because Jeff Lewis, who obviously teaches tennis, great, 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 um, I can remember doing a clinic. I didn't live in Tampa, but I went down to do a clinic for Thomas Olerstedt. And those two guys, speaking of grips at that time, I mean, they, if they played mini tennis for one hour, they were playing mini tennis for eight hours, just over and over again. And uh, they, were, they were playing it like, like Americans. Ryler? Yeah, they were playing like Americans. I don't want to categorize, but you know, you watch a European kid on red clay play, play mini tennis, it's a completely different look than... You, right, you know, right, right. Americans play mini tennis, um, We'll play continental grip on everything, but they're not doing. They don't do that on the red clay. But you know, people need to be taught that. Where, I mean, at Federer, you, I know you're a huge Federer fan. He he makes. You know, he's, I know he's coming back for the Labor Cup. He makes. You know, tennis look like mini tennis. You know, when he he's just it's amazing. With um. But yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But Posey, for the listeners, you spent. Uh, you came that one year, but uh, it seemed like you were a permanent fixture. 
with uh, you, I, I, there was a period of time where you were there. Uh, maybe it was close to a decade. Days turns in, into decades. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it stretched on. You know, uh, in the end, I got my chance to play the play the ten years that it was supposed to take to, to become a champ. You know, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was. Uh, oh, so many stories. I remember uh, a gal, Libby Specky. She became a very good player. Went to Vanderbilt. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Uh, Ryler, so you and Ryler are up north. You're in school. Liberty. You're studying. You take these exams. You come down, and you know you played Liberty, and and Ryler played um, Raven Clausen. And the beauty of uh, Ryler to heart is he shows up the next day and goes, "Let's go again." And because you know he, you know, I don't think it's a matter that he knew he was in exams and he hadn't been playing. He's going from indoor to outdoor. Uh, he just was a competitor where you were going, I don't think I play so well. And I go, come on, Posey, figure it out, figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I think uh, that was a tough one. I, she, she, uh, I think she, she handled me there pretty, oh, pretty yeah. easily after a season of, yeah. I can remember taking intense Ra- practice in Maine. Yeah. I remember being at the Eddie Her, and Raven came with me in Liberty. Uh, I would think it was the quarters trying to get into the semis and she had played such great approach shots and you know a lot of times anxiety comes into it and and raven was so humble just like yourself is that you know you hit better approach shots than i do why why weren't you coming in why were you going forward yeah 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 and her, and her answer was i was thinking about being in the semis i mean same 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 old same old on a, on a answer yeah yeah with uh but yeah, with the coloring book, uh, the Vic Braden book, but with uh, tell us about the novel. And then, then I think uh, you could start bringing up some blasts from the past, some names. Uh, but Posey, you're you know I tease people, go hey, hey kid, you're my favorite player. And then two seconds later, I tell tell another kid, hey no, you're my favorite player. <laughs> and with they hear it so often that they they know I'm just teasing. But you you literally are from that time. You know, Roberto Cal is such a great guy. He, I mean, he has you as the number one hardest worker of all time. And I think, think about that, you know, my time in tennis. I, I think you, you knew a few other guys uh, in your well, time. Well, you, you know, I'd have to stop and think. I mean, I'd really have to think, well, there's some people that would tie him. You know, you can't say who's number one. But, you know, and I, I don't like those conversations, who's the greatest of all time, who's the GOAT. But, yeah, I think of my time in tennis, about 29%, 28, 29% of the time. That's quite, quite a long period of time that, that Roberto, uh, and, you know, he came in knowing so much about sport, knowing so much about soccer, knowing so much about life. But all these years later, I mean, he really knows tennis. But um, He yeah. would be up there with Cresty for most improved player of all time. I mean, Well, his, I, uh, his, his path in tennis, uh, for sure. But, yeah, no, again, backtracking to Cresty, um, you know, but even with, you know, that if he, if he starts to win, which he is, he's on TV all the time now. And that's a sign that you're doing really well, but Pete Sampras, I say it over and over again. I just keep pounding on the same principles. Uh, you know, Vic Braden, I've, you know, I was flattering to Steve, we should have worked together. We should have taught ISTPs and ESTPs. And I said, Vic, we should have, yeah. we should have taught tennis teachers and you go forward with a flashlight making new discoveries. And I go backwards with a club hitting people over the head going, did you get it? Did you get it? <laughs> and, and, it could be, it could be a winning combo. But with, um, 
Pete Sampras, the last time he played official match, he came to the net 104 times. And class act, he, did, he didn't influence tennis. It's, it's amazing because people want to win at every level. The kid wants to win. The parent wants to win. The coach wants to win. There's bragging rights. I mean, can you imagine bragging that you're coaching a top 10-year-old? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, you know. You tr- then you try to make a point, go, well, if 64 10-year-olds play a tournament, who wins one 10-year-old? And I don't want to pick on the 10, 12-year-olds, but if 64 idiots play a tournament, who wins one idiot? And, um, yeah, yeah. The, um, you know, a lot of times kids aren't even warming up on the volley. You know, they don't, they don't even take volleys and overheads in a warm-up. Um, no, granted, it's the equipment, too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is brain memory. They're not, they haven't gone forward. They haven't done the right things along the way, and um, it's a crisis. It's, it's tragic. What do you What do you think could could change it? I mean, I think pickleball. I mean, come on, you know, if there's money in pickleball and everybody's playing pickleball, and and perhaps the USTA, who knows, uh, that's going to turn into a racket center, not a tennis center. And uh-huh. I say, bring it on. And if you want to be really successful in pickleball, learn tennis skills. So. Um, yeah, I don't, but I don't think Cressy is going to, uh, you know, there may be a few people, uh, but even like on a green light point, um, the approach shots are lost art as well. I mean, I had a young boy today. He's 18. He's one of the better players in Quebec. Had him play a young girl. And I said, hey, this is how we do it. When you're serving, you're going to try to win the point in three shots. And when you're returning on her second serve, you're going to try to win in two shots. And I mean, he, Right. He's almost, you know, he's climbing. He's, I think, soon to be a 12. Um, he lost 6-2. He lost 6-2 because, I mean, he's played his whole life. I mean, we've known him now for six months, and it's like, no, you're, you're, you double your life. You're 36. You're young, and you can't play from the service line in. So what are we going to do? Um, you know, Vic Braden used to have so many great lines. His two baseliners were playing. I was at the Easter Bowl with him one time. Two baseliner players are playing, and one's better than the other. And Vic goes to the poor kids. He's got a mail in the scores. And the best way to sum it up is yeah. the kid's got no options. You know, and that's where you have to do the situational training. Okay, we're going to throw up a moon ball. Again, Harold Solomon, getting to meet the legend. That that name came from Bud Collins calling it, here comes the moon ball. And he took the racket low on the backhand side, had a forehand grip on the backhand. And I mean, this guy was amazing, fantastic. So, I mean, so much respect. Um to meet him all these years later, but I mean, I was just a fan. And they, uh, Bud Collins used to call it the Solly Slop. But that's is, what is that, he the guy you told me like learned to play hitting a ball on like a, up on a roof? No, no. Uh, Doctor Mayer did that with his kids. Um, oh, that was the Mayer's. Yeah, okay, all right. Hit the ball up on a garage door and the a garage roof, and the ball would roll down. But um, somebody who developed a sort of a looping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway, no, sorry, I mean, sorry, I, no, I think, you know, he, he talking to me the other day, he credited his dad, where he had hit a thousand balls in a row three days a week with his father, who was a club player, and they missed it 800. They got to start over. Wow. That was a great, great few, you know, 15, 20 minutes with him where he's talking to these kids. And plus, like Medvedev did, people told Solomon, he said, no, you know, so many people said, I'll, I'll never be any good. Small guy, but, you know, biggest heart, you know. Is the most grit. Amazing. Well, what do you think about Medvedev? Medvedev, I mean, he's got the Russian mentality. He grew up in the French system where it's play, play, play. And 
I told people every day, like Connors was that way. I told a young boy today, I said, okay, you knew basically by the ball, your opponent, baseline to baseline, your opponent's shot, by the time you got to um, their service line, you knew it was going to be wide. You just stood, stood still and called it out. What Connors was trained to do by Gloria, I was around Gloria a little bit. I, I asked Harold Solomon about Gloria. I mean, it's like, I love the stories behind the stories. I mean, technique... I mean, I just love the character side of it. So, but Connors, when he would practice it, the foot, the ball was a foot out. He's, he's just that he's hitting it. And even when he played, yeah, you know, but the thing is, is to get your body behind the ball, get set, you know, for our listeners to go back and listen to Giddy Arrow, you got to have a ground reaction force. I mean, that's where the forces come from. And, but you watch Medvedev, he runs and he, you know, he's gangly. I mean, he, you know, people, people said you're not going to make it. And that's one of the reasons that he made it because people didn't believe in him. But he runs right, it down. Right, he run, it seems he, like he gets some, some motivation out of that. It just looks like his personality. I mean, you look at his backhand volley. I mean, are you kidding me? Um, it's so well, what about his backhand? No, it's, yeah, and so much calculation. No, you got to, the, the serve, take your hat off. That toss is so far in front. He's six foot six, I think. But, but Medvedev, he runs like a dog after the ball. So what happens yeah. when the ball's out, I mean, he's right there. To, he's right there to hit it. And he just gives it to the ball boy. I mean, he, it's a, in, just amazing. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the work ethic, the competitiveness, um, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. I think that's where what happens with tennis at the grassroots level, it shouldn't happen where, well, that's their style. Anything goes. I mean, that, that's what I was going to ask you because I feel like a guy like that, if people want to make that argument, they just point at him and they go, you know, no, everybody told him he couldn't make it, and you're telling me I can't make it. Well, I'm going to be him. You know, how do you how do you answer that? No, I, I mean it's it's a dilemma. I mean, people are sent to us. They get on an airplane, they fly out. They're sent to us to make changes technically, and that's not so easy. the people coming in. At least they already have a, a, some belief. Well, they the you know they certainly are okay. I've been told to come here. I'm going to listen to this guy. So it's a pretty captive, right. it's a pretty captive audience. You know, it's not like they can go five miles down the road. They f- they flew in and checked into a hotel. But uh, but no, I think that they've had their whole foods ordered. You know, <laughs> they're stuck. The I really think it's a sport of a lifetime, and I think Dave Secker said it well. This is a great base. Basically, should be called safe tennis. You know, Braden prevention of injury using the large body parts. So, um, you know that that phrase. Well, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But at, at 10 and under, it's broken. But the kid's holding the trophy. The kid's holding yeah, the trophy. Yeah. So, you know, winning's not confusing. It's totally confusing. And um, no, so, you know, a lot of people think, okay, if a kid is 15, 16 years old, you don't want to make big changes in their game. But if you study history of tennis, Bill Tilden, very wealthy guys, grew up in Philadelphia and, um, I think his father was the mayor of Philadelphia, but way back when they hired a coach, and he, you know, um, he changed his grip, couldn't couldn't really hit a backhand. Don Budge won the Grand Slam in '38. He had a Western grip on the forehand side. I mean, you just can go through it. I mean, Borg lost a Panada, and he changed his toss. Um, first year in '76 when he won Wimbledon, he was injecting Novocaine into his stomach. So, um, I love to tell people about change. You know, it's, it's there are examples of people who've made changes in their game. 
Um, but there are not that many of them, but they, they are out there. Pete Sampras, you know, he... Sister, to one yeah, his sister, same with Edberg. His sister said, Stella said that, you know, when he made the change, he couldn't beat the local high school players. Um, and then with Pete Fisher and studying film and, you know, Agassi, you know, said, that he goes, what are you doing? And But he was going forward, you know. Michael Chang, who's a great player, uh, won the French at 17. You know, you ask kids, of course, they don't know tennis history, but say, you know, well, who won in the 12s? Who would you bet on? Michael Chang, who had tree trunk legs and as fast as fast can be. Yes, yes. So who wins in the 12s? Um, you know, Michael Chang or Pete Sampras? And, you know, basically the way we teach tennis, it's a Bradenism. We're teaching you to lose at a faster rate. You're going to go forward. And if you're dictating the, if you're dictating the point, you know, if you're missing in the green zone, you know, I told a girl today, I said, no, you played awesome. You missed an overhead. You know, and for us, the, the kid in the 12s who hits the most overheads, that's the best player. I mean, there's kids. I mean, yeah. I watched a match a couple of weeks ago. You know, our player came to the net seven times, and he won six. He, he, he hit one overhead. He won the match. Great young coach from Montreal. You know, we sit down and talk, and. He said, you need courage. You know, don't be afraid of going forward. You know, and, uh-huh. you know, that, that especially when kids are smaller and not so tall. And, um, so Tozy, Posey, tell us about the novel. I know you're, you're helping your mom with uh, a lot of mechanical writing as far as, um, you tell us a little bit what type of writing you do for your mom with her projects. The wall of, the uh, I think this is, <laughs> this is not much of a topic here. Uh, yeah, we uh we started out years ago just just it was it was just her. I, she had no sort of grant writer or anything, so I kind of we worked together on that. And it was actually kind of fun just trying to science out how to you know claw some some dollars out of people. Uh, I think we 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 had a couple wins, but uh, <laughs> a lot of losses. Uh, and. Yeah, she just uh, has become an incredible fundraiser, which is not not her personality at all, but just sort of out of necessity, she, she's managed to do it. Very quickly, um, a shout-out, a commercial. Tell us about her project, the name of it. And just all right, any, any, anybody listening who's near Winstead, Connecticut, you gotta, uh, <laughs> you got to check it out. It's, uh, it's called, uh, or you can just, just look it up online. It's the uh, uh, American Mural Project, um, AMP for short. Uh, and it's like a, it's like a giant mural honor honor of working Americans. It's um, took her like twenty years to do it. Uh, worked with kids like across the country, ten ten fifteen thousand kids. Um, you know, working on different parts of it, and um, it's uh, yeah, hundred hundred twenty feet long, fifty feet high. Um, and that's about it. Uh, Give, tell yeah. us, tell us the name one more time, so people can look it up. Thanks. It's the uh, it's the American Mural Project. Uh, you go to AmericanMuralProject.org, uh, and you'll you'll see it. Uh, just anyway, the the point here. Thanks for teeing it up. Is uh, it just opened uh, like a month ago? So uh, after twenty years, it's kind of kind of exciting. Uh, well, the, the word project. Yeah. I tell people all the time is. 
And you, and you are a project player. You know, people can get to the point where they're a blue chip, but everybody starts as a project player. That's a much better term than beginner, although I have no problem with the word beginner. Everybody has a right to be a beginner. But a project player, let's go to work. Let's go to work, and you got to learn this shot and that shot. And um, What clouds the whole developmental process is winning. Winning takes care of itself. Winning's a byproduct of skills. Um, you know, it's people are in a hurry to go nowhere fast. But so you, you with the writing side of it, uh, I guess I could say this, Posey, with your novel that we're looking for, I'm going to be the, the tall, dark, handsome person, right? Yeah. But uh, I remember... Yeah, we're- I remember you sitting at a table and I'm going, Posey, it's beautiful out. What are you doing sitting at this table? It's a Sunday. You could do whatever you wanted and there's no tournament. I go, Posey, what are you doing? He goes, well, I got to write this letter. And I come back and go, Posey, what are you doing? I'm still working on this letter. And one of the students wanted you to help them with an essay. And I said, Posey, go eat at your favorite place around the corner. And I said, by the time you get back, I'll have this written. And, I think I remember this this night. Yeah, and you know the when years ago for yourself, the people that we had, it was great. The NSA rule changed, but we had college prep students. Everybody was a high school graduate. We didn't have younger kids. We had high school graduates that weren't quite good enough to be recruited, but they wanted to play college tennis, so they're going to take a year. And we had it set up where you know maybe the math was. You know, $3,000 a month. But if you're a student assistant, it's $2,000 a month. And we want really everybody to be a student assistant. But if you, your child has just so much time with whatever it was, SAT prep or whatever, that they didn't have to be a student assistant. But it, pretty much everyone was a student assistant. We, you know, if you had to go. I remember this, my mom, my mom asked me after like a, a month, it's like, is this guy ever going to send me a bill? I haven't received any bills. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's I think I had to ask you, like, uh, uh, my mom's ready to pay you, but uh, she hasn't received it. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty much. She doesn't know the amount yet. It's pretty much the same way uh, where it's going today is, uh, you know, and unfortunately, uh, some people don't pay their bills, but uh, you have to chase the money. The You know, but for years and years, uh, we haven't run a business where you pay up front. Um, the, uh, but anyway. So, yeah, so there was 10 or 12 of you were, you know, student assistants. And, you know, so, okay, we are teaching underprivileged children. You know, we're, you know, we're cleaning toilets, sweeping courts, you know, doing the whole nine yards. So it, because when you tell someone, well, I'm a tennis kid, a lot of times tennis kids, they just are not used to getting their hands dirty. But uh, anyway... Um, then what I had written, it was perfect because uh, then you had the, the magic touch as far as uh, grammar to take it up a level. But um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I definitely remember uh, struggling uh, for a couple hours there. Yeah, that was uh, that was a tough one. But well, but the thing was is that you know I think that sometimes okay, I just got to tell it like it is. This is what you're doing. But also too, I think also that. Um, I was embellishing because the the young guy was not stepping up to the plate and and doing some of those things. But they, I wrote it where, but this is what everybody does, is doing, and that made it a little bit more powerful. So, um, 
But tell me about, tell the listeners, I should say, about your novel. It's a tennis novel. You're, um, you've got three, well, that different, was, three different versions. You're working on the fourth. Uh, actually, three different books. Uh, three different books. I'm working on a I'm working on a legal thriller. It's a little, a little bit of a challenge because I don't know anything about the law, but uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. I uh, loving loving the research and. Uh, that's your fourth, yeah, your of, fourth book. Are any of the first three? I thought one of the, they were about tennis and some of the spinoff. The, 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 the first one, the first one was about tennis. Uh, uh, it basically was about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, it, it, there, there's a there's a there's a award winning novel in this story. I just don't know if I can if I can write it, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I. The amount of material that I had there, I feel like if I can't make that into a novel, I don't have any business doing it. But um, yeah, it's uh, I, I gotta I gotta go back to that one. I, uh, but then, it, then you gotta tough. get. It, how do you get a book published? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I'm not the guy to ask there. Uh, I think it's 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 tough. I mean, you gotta. We got to finish it, obviously, which is the thing you always told me. And then uh, you got to. It, it seems like there are a lot of, a lot of different gates. It's got to get through. You know, you got to get an agent, um, and the agent has to. So you got to sell it to them, and they got to sell it to the, the publisher, um, or the, you know, an editor at the publisher then has to sell it to to their boss. And yeah, there are a lot of steps, but. Um, I think the agent is sort of the, the key first step, unless the book is just so great that you know you hand it to somebody you know, and the person's just like, "Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll publish it." But um, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I think it's probably a little easier than becoming a pro tennis player, but it's uh, it's 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 got its challenges too. With that time. What did you, I mean, what do you think that was, uh, what do you think positives were for that culture at that time? The tennis. Just the, the culture of. of HCC, the, uh, Hillsborough Community HCC. College. For our listeners, um, right behind where the New, Yan- New York Yankees play spring baseball, across the street, you have the Tampa Bay Box. On a two-year junior college campus where we had a cafeteria. We had a, a gym that we couldn't use that much. And then at one point, unfortunately, one of our visitors was out of line and, and we couldn't use it at all. We had a weightlifting gym, had a library. Uh, we had 28 tennis courts. Um, the, you know, we had our famous um, dollar clinic. And Roberto Callas, uh, I always think that was the greatest thing when Raven Claussen, who spent five, year, five years there, he gets to the Wimbledon final and, uh, and Roberto goes, and he ran the dollar clinic. We trained him to run the dollar clinic. Yeah, man. Talk about a, was a humble, humble guy for the guy he was. Uh, I was just told yeah, today. Yeah, you're, you're asking. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. With Raven, I was just told today that uh, someone saw him last week. You know, he's got his uh, great friend in Philly, Punch. Uh, should be able to tell you Punch's last name, but South African. And Raven finds his way there before the U.S. Open. But I think he's 4-0 and... Uh, you know, he had three knee operations. So, uh, I mean, 
I mean, he's one of about 50 uh, unbelievable people I knew and just unbelievable stories. I mean, I, uh, I, I was there when he, when he came with his, his, his friend, PJ, um, PJ Donovan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, just both just the greatest guys, but, um, yeah, I mean, there was a guy who, uh, he, I think he was made for your system because he, I mean, one, just nobody wanted, wanted it more, I think, but obviously to go through those surgeries and keep going and then sort of get all his, his best results on the other side of it. But Yeah, um, and really late in life, too. I mean, he wasn't really a, playing the big time until his late, late 20s. I remember we, I asked somebody about him. I, I, you were trying to set up a sort of LLC to, to support him, and somebody said, the person said, how old is he? I was like 19 or something, or 20, and they were like, oof, that's, that's a bit old. And for me, I was like, hey, I'm like 22. I mean, and like, yeah, anyway. Uh, very very coachable, very disciplined, very respectful. I reprimanded him one time, and that was it. Um, I mean, all the times that we played together, he never treated me like I was any less of a, you know, like I was just there for some other purpose than he was, you know, it was like, yeah, his mother he, passed away. Recently. He acted like we were there for the same reasons, you know, it was really. Something. Yeah. I talked to his father recently. His mother passed away during the pandemic. Um, but such classy people. I, yeah, I'm just very confident that, uh, he'll make an impact on tennis through coaching. Because again, at four, I mean, at four zero, it's it's winding down for him. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wish he'd gotten that that Wimbledon or the uh, the Australian, but but two two major finals. I mean, that's a pretty pretty no, insane he, career, you know. Yeah, no, he's done well. I think with going in the fifth set, he ninety nine percent sure he's the one. He lost his serve in the fifth, but to be so close and yeah, to just to be a Wimbledon champion. It would have been fantastic for him. So, so there's, I don't think there's anyone who's more deserving. I mean, he's right up there. I mean, with there's a video clip. I was in South Africa. Went, went the first time. I didn't make it to Cape Town. Second time, I went to Cape Town, and my host took me down to uh, meet Raven and see see that area of the country. And so we actually talked about it on a video. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but. Posey was beating everybody in the plank and the iron V. And so we had this field and I'd have people race across it doing the bear walk. And Posey was just killing people. And Raven was away at tournaments for a couple of weeks. He comes back. And so I go, okay, we got to have Raven. He hasn't been here since we've been doing this bear walk. And it was Raven versus Posey. And Posey got beat pretty badly and Raven quiet, humble, he walks by and he goes, lion walk. <laughs> so the, we know the lion's I, faster than the bear. I remember this. Every every time I'd be sort of down in my conference, I'd just have some terrible loss, and you'd, you'd set up a, a bear walk for me to sort of get my, you know, get my spirits back up. And I was feeling pretty good about my my bear walk prowess. Right. And then, uh, he yeah, he came along and... Uh, <laughs> I remember uh I remember you had a a basketball hoop in your in your garage I mean your drive and 
Actually, we had one, we had one at ACC. I don't remember that. This, this was just we 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 came home one night after practice, got out of the car, and the the ball was just lying in your driveway, and the hoop was like, I mean, it wasn't can't have been like regulation, but it was like. I, I couldn't dream of dunking on this hoop, you know, and we're, we're like, we're basically the same height. And he just like, he picks up the ball that's on his way to the door after like nine hours of tennis. And he just dunks it. <laughs> like, I look at him like, he didn't even, he wasn't like showing off. He was just like walking to your house, you know? Uh, that's what I realized. Like there's, there's, there's something to, to talent here beyond the, uh, the, the work and then he obviously combined it with the work so well with uh you know his mechanics you know people have to have the eye for it you know to see how he swings swings the racket efficiently for for returns how he volleys um yeah well, would you say he's one guy that you actually can watch and feel pretty proud of uh <laughs> being a part of his no for sure his development i mean for sure with you can't have a lot to, lot to pick on in his game, right? No, for sure. There's, um, but the one thing is, is that we've had, we taught all sorts of people hit the ball cleanly, but do they have the intangibles? I mean, not only the intangibles. I mean, as you said, he right. could, he could jump through the gym. I, he's just so athletic, um, but also too the the discipline, the determination, the professionalism. You know, it's like when you um, first came and said, "All right, Posey in doubles," and you you said, "Oh, I don't play doubles." I go, "You do now." <laughs> and with Raven, you know, he he could have gone to college. So many colleges, best schools in the country would have taken him. But with uh, po- with with Raven, uh, we he had no choice to learn how to teach tennis. That's what we do anyway. It's mandatory. We teach everyone to teach. You know, these things I say over and over again, the highest form of retention for learning is to teach. Um, but if you, you know, there's a novel, but if you were just to write a book um, on some of the things from that era, um, you know, there'd be a cast of characters for sure. Oh my God. It was, you, you were asking about what were the, the positives, you know, and I feel like uh, basically everything, you know, I, I just, um, just, but starting with all the, the great people, you know, I, I think it's because you sort of attracted them, but, or maybe you, well, we you ran, kicked out uh, the ones who were, uh, well, people, people, <laughs> I was almost kicked out on a few, few occasions. So oh, I, I don't believe that for a second, Posey, but, uh, no, there was one, I remember play, you, you invited me to, to, to check out other academies in my, in my first, uh, month there. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think, um, that's right. That you sort of reverse psychology me. I was like, wait a second. Like he's not trying to like keep me here. Like I was like, man, maybe I better try to keep myself here. You know. Well, for for, <laughs> for years, uh, I mean, Saddlebrook. It's no, it's no, it's no secret. Saddlebrook was on one side of us, and you know, thirty minutes away, perhaps. That, and Balteries is forty-five minutes away, and a little more. Maybe. I remember when I was when I was looking for where to go. I. uh I, I didn't know you were even existed, and I, I, this, you know, voluntaries. I mean, that's what I'd grown grown up like from Connecticut, hearing about it. Sort of the land of you know, the land where where they say where where champions are made or something, or whatever. Uh, and I had I had called the guy who was the head of their college 
prep or whatever program I would have been in. He's like, yeah, you know, we had like Andy Roddick. He was, he was training with our guys yesterday. Uh, so this is like the caliber of player that you could be, you know, at least in, in, in touch with. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is it, you know? Uh, and I had my, my bags like packed. Well, but for, it was your family friend, Sam Garcia. That, that's how you, for, that's how you did it. And Sam called me. He called me like that night and he was like, he had heard what I was doing. And he's like, you got to talk to this guy, Steve. And I'm like, uh, I was like, okay. I mean, I, I guess I, you know, I, this guy's got Andy Roddick there, you know, <laughs> I got to go. And, uh, but Sam, I, he, uh, he was my, you know, my tennis mentor, you know, and I was like, if Sam says so, I'm just going to do it. But, uh, and I remember calling you and I was like, this is going to be awkward. I got to call this guy because I promised Sam I would, but I already know I'm not going, you know, and I got to sort of ask about this program I'm not going to go to. And I remember I said, I put it off, put it off. And I, I called you like, like 11 a night or something. And, uh, I was like, this is even worse. I'm like waking this guy up. And I didn't know that you never really slept anyway, but, uh, I remember we talked, you talked to me for like an hour and, uh, at the end of that, I was like, this is, this is the place I completely forgotten about Roddick. Uh, so that was it. It was all, it was all Sam's doing for me, but I just, no, I, I, yeah. I, I like to have students, uh, go other places, but once they start the program, they need to finish the program to, to go and, you know, they're shopping bop and, Go check things out, um, but we at this public facility, municipality, HCC, Hillsborough Community College, we ran it in the spirit of the public. I mean, there's no agency, there was no scholarship students. I mean, we had uh, we were working with underprivileged kids, um, so and we were purely on the developmental side, purely. It was not any recruiting. Um, I mean, I feel like you were you were like the anti-recruiter. I mean, I remember you, <laughs> you, uh, refused to fix your, like link to your website, at, <laughs> but it was broken. Uh, well, I think way back when it was just a toll free number, but no, we have a young man who was here this past week and he's considering being an intern. So we had to clean a house today. So what I did is I took this guy, I said, okay, come with me. And he was here with another pro two guys from Philadelphia, great guys. And I said, okay, let's go. You can ask me some questions, but we're going to go on a little field trip. And, and we, the, then with another intern, uh, we cleaned this house that we, you know, someone who was nice enough to let us, let us use this summer. And, and, uh, you know, then you need to say, well, these is when someone says, I, yeah, I'd like the job. I said, well, well one, it's an interview is a two way street is that, yeah, I, I'll give you a long list of people that I've trained that you can contact. But yeah, you got to figure it out, and I'll tell you these are the reasons you don't want to do it. Um, but if you do do it, you know you will learn a little bit about tennis. Um, you give me a name, I'll give you a name. How about Hazi Baby? Oh, Haz, man, what a what a great guy. He was he was there right from the start uh, for yeah. me. He's from Malaysia. He's been with you for a lot longer. He's from Malaysia. His government. He played at Louisville. And, I mean, it's interesting, you know. He's playing at Louisville, but he also, he did play 
it wasn't a long go, but he played Davis Cup. He played Davis Cup for Malaysia. And I remember we saw his uh we saw the tape of his uh his match that yeah. kept them in whatever group was, was they were in. Uh he described like his his first round he said I was I'd never been more nervous. I just could not hit a ball and I was like he had he had gotten killed and he had, he was I guess you play what five they have five total matches in the tie or something so that this was going to be like the decider. Yeah. And he said he he went in the locker room and he's just like looking at himself in the mirror and trying to you know get himself straight. And he said he just threw up everywhere and he just went out and somehow something had slipped and he played the best match he just just as well as he played badly the first time. And and he won. And uh. That was he said it was one of the best matches he ever played, but yeah, I remember i he was he was so good, I mean, obviously to me, you know, I wasn't so capable of judging it, but he just he he's such a beautiful game and such a smooth player, and i I thought like, man, if I could play like that, all I'd be doing is just trying to find some way, you know, and he just i think he was he really was more interested in. But what you were telling him and trying to pass that on to people then then his own sort of playing career was that you know sort you, of you came you came from Connecticut I mean I went to a prep school in New England a boarding school like you and and you know you came from the tradition of playing a different sport every season so I mean it was amazing like you you played soccer well you 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 could play other sports but you were meeting people that had hit a lot more balls than you with with Haas, um, right? You know, he took up golf, and I remember we had a place that was on a golf course. And first thing he would do is we would get back, and it was twilight, and he would just go out and chip and putt, so smooth. Uh, with with Hazel right away though, he had played his four years of college, and he, I remember he came to me, and he was interested in the teaching coaching side, which is very unusual, you know, because he was a very good tennis player. And his government helped him, you know, spend a year with us. I mean, he has a PhD in sports science. I remember his wife; she was doing her, doing his, her dissertation on uh, Twitter, and how Twitter, wow. how, how Twitter will change society. This is a long time ago. They brought their son to work. They brought the recent person. Huh? Yeah, they were they were living in England. They brought their son to me, um, Adam, who hit the ball really well. Then they were in Australia. They actually were in Australia at a club. He was there because his wife was doing some research. And anyway, um, yeah, what a great guy with um, so many different things. With um, you know, to make tennis happen in Malaysia, to have someone trained like that, you know, you, you think how, how challenging it is to be the the, the national director and. Uh, I think that would be in the cards, even you know, in the future, because of you know what he what he, stu- what he studied. When he did his dissertation, yeah, I helped him, uh, and he helped me too because he had what he did was uh, the the era the players with, with um, I should be able to just rattle off the name of the pros. Like Juan Carlos Ferrero was one of them. And he took the players. Really a, lot, a lot of the film, 
He lost to Roddick in, when Roddick won the US Open. He coaches Al, uh, the young kid Alcaraz. Um, and again, my fact checker, senior moment, I can blunder names and such, but they, he had a film of, and a lot of it was from the La Patisse. And what he was doing was comparing kids' tactics at age 14 to their tactics at age 24. And he had the film of say eight or ten, wow. eight or ten players, and it was fascinating. Uh, he actually said that many of them, by looking at the film, many of them did a much better job mentally and emotionally when they were fourteen. These young kids, wow. these young kids that uh, are you know among the best in the world at, at that age. But you know his what his conclusion was, and I really should get him on on our podcast. Is their tactics were the same. You know, like in, in, in the end, you know, very few people change their technical base, but very few people make tactical changes. You know, I, again, I think of V-Liner all the time where he won the 82 French. Then in yeah, 80, yeah, 80, yeah. 88, never won Wimbledon, but he won Australian on grass. And his game is, you know, maybe you could say, okay, he didn't have the biggest serve or whatever, but everything was great. Forehand was great, backhand was great, play approach shots, follies. He was just a complete player. And he won three Grand Slams in 88. You know, beat Lendl at the US Open. And, uh, but that's a guy who, that'd be another example of people who made changes in their game. And, you know, I, kids get, I think young junior tennis players, are, they're not so uh, focused on or in tune with history. But we'll tell people, if you don't know the history of your subject, you really don't know your subject. So, but Haas, uh, right, right, right. The, um, with uh, who else comes to your mind from that era? We're looking at you, you, when, what didn't you, what you, you, you came when, like 2000? It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was actually right after uh, September 11th there. So, that'd wow. be 2001. Yeah. Feels like about seven years ago, not. Not twenty. <laughs> yeah, of course. You yeah. Know, when you're my age, when someone says two thousand, that seems like yesterday. You know, yeah, yeah, born, yeah. When you're born in 1954, um, with uh, Roberto was a permanent fixture for a long time and playing soccer every day. Um, that was, I think, great for everybody. You know, he was oh, the referee, the coach, and did it all. I mean, he's still capable of doing that. There's a the guy with a personal story that's just uh, one of the it's got to be one of the most incredible incredible stories you could have I mean uh, no, yeah it's, it's, uh, just being doing in the presence of, of of Roberto it was like it was uh, you sort of tried to keep yourself together you know it's like maybe uh, maybe I'll wait to throw this racket until he walks around that equipment shed <laughs> it was just, just after the stuff that he had he had done, you're like, oh right. yeah, life in the Amazon Revolution in uh, Peru and coming to the U.S. And, and you know, when you think of immigrants coming to a new country, learning a new language, um, with yeah, and there's a magic about him. Uh, it's you know, he's I think ISFP, and um, but you ask him uh, to tell kids what they need to be told, uh, yeah. I, he, he says it so well. Um, and, and, 
you know, a lot of times the quiet person, you know, the one who says the least, uh, when they finally say some things, pe- people really listen. They really listen. And that's, that's, what, right. that's one nice thing about not being the so-called head coach. Um, with uh, you, have, you have a little more freedom to sort of sit back and, and not, not say stuff. Yeah, I know a lot, a lot of meetings. I mean, I think he was here. Um, you know, he's on his way back to Peru, but so six months, uh, many times in a meeting, I would just let him end the meeting. Roberto, and you know, it's, maybe it's not just you know we we have a very very small group, and you know, there's no advertising, and people find us, and and you know, maybe it's just a report. You know, we've got a group of fourteen people, and seven of them on a Saturday morning go with me and, you know, we go to a private school and we're working in the gymnasium and, and he takes seven to the battle of Boca. And then we meet at the end of the day and say, how did it go? And, you know, there's been repeat uh, performers too, that, you know, people come and, you know, they were, go back home for a couple months and they come back and, you know, then did they follow the, the plan? Did they, you know, love the process. You love the process. The process will love you back. With uh, Gabe Wapner, he was there. I could just oh, Gabe, uh, absolutely. Gabe, uh, just just played with him a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he came to visit. Uh, there's longtime friends with Flanagan. They're both upstate New York boys, and you know, for for parents listening, the guy comes in and then he's figuring out. This is when the garbage goes out. And yeah, he was uh, like you said, mature beyond beyond his years. Uh, well, you know, I did he, not know he, when the garbage went out. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he, he he wanted to be so successful in tennis. Raven tells a story about. I said, Raven, you're off this weekend. You're resting. You know, take this kid. You know, he's just playing match up the street. If you please go with him, because I just know, I just knew that. Okay, if Raven were to talk to him. You know, basically the same age. <laughs> Gabe, he was so hungry for tennis success. The kid, it's a famous story within our our little corner of the world. Is The match is just starting out, and the kid double faults, and Gabe's on the other side giving it to Leighton Hewitt, lawnmower. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, but no. I wish you could see him. I wish you could see him hit the ball now. I, I feel like of all of us guys, uh, well, actually, I can't speak for. I think a lot of those guys sort of uh, pulled something out of it, but but uh, I, I feel like he was not the first guy I thought was going to get it. He just it, because of what you said, just it's so intense that he almost couldn't loosen up enough to hit the ball the way you were saying to, you know, uh, which is sort of a, a flip side of just all the stuff that's positive that you want to see in a player, the sort of dedication and you know, intensity and, and, and discipline and, you know, anyway, all that stuff, but no, but, I, think, uh, I think with, uh, I, I, but in the end, anyway, I just have to, <laughs> I can't leave it there. Cause, uh, I, I wish you could see how he hits the ball now. Cause I feel like, uh, he, he got it. Uh, well, he was always, uh, he's always super fit. I know when he, um, he's an incredible shape and, and he hits the ball like, like, I mean, Definitely the truest topspin in uh, um, that I've seen in the past <laughs> past six months. I guess it's not saying much, but yeah. With Wapner, um, 
you know, Brandon was the same way from the snowbanks upstate New York and didn't, didn't start tennis early. They just hadn't had the chance to hit so many balls. The kid who went to Hamilton college from Philadelphia, um, he was in that group. There's so many, I can't think of his name right now, but, uh, uh Jared, Jared Solomon, but yeah, he, yeah. I think yeah. he, I thought he went somewhere else besides Hamilton, but maybe, um, maybe he transferred. I thought that's where he started, but I could be wrong, wrong, wrong. But, you know, with Gabe, going back to parents, the guy comes in and he just organizes without being told, hey, we're going to go to the grocery store and we're going to get a, a, basically a milk club. Instead of eight players going and getting eight gallons of milk, you know, they they had they had partners for milk. Maybe it was three people. And, and he had it organized. Uh, there was always uh, chicken. There was always pasta. I remember there was what there was really always uh, was a hamburger helper. Uh, I, I remember he he sort of led that led that initiative. He uh, which is which is great. He was like, yeah, we're we're spending kind of a lot of money. We go out every night. Um, what if we just sort of just like we rotated who cooked because we weren't really nobody could really cook, but. It was like, yeah, you're all, this, this looks pretty easy, you know, and we'll just like, yeah, I mean, we we're all like college, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was like, it's, you just add water, you know, I think we can handle this. And it's like, uh, one guy will go back early and just like get the pot going. By the time the other guys get there, it'll be, it'll be ready, you know. And there's like an infinite variety of flavors, you know, <laughs> we'll never know. It's like the same thing every night. And uh, so yeah, we had we had a hamburger helper for for about <laughs> twenty nights straight until we just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> well, you know, then you get people to eat the rainbow colors and such. But uh, but no, he definitely helped from an organizational standpoint. That you know, hey, this is when the garbage goes out, and you know, just look around, be observant. You know, make make things organized. Um, yeah, all, yeah, in all the years. It was actually, I don't even like to mention 9-11. Before 9-11, people would come to work with me. If they were, you know, their parents or their coaches would come. They'd stay in hotels. But then I um, had six months of business. Just, uh, no one was traveling. And I said, well, I'll do this on a smaller scale. So that's how the whole thing started. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've had cooks. We've had, we've had you know, different set of circumstances. But... Now there's so, I mean, I get so many emails and so many text messages and, you know, coaches send me things, which is all great. You know, you want to get back to people and, um, you know, like this summer, I mean, just wasn't on top of it with uh, what, what kids buy. You know, we, we've had uh, physicians helping us, uh, nutritionists helping us. And uh, it's just amazing what kids buy. It's just, uh, they get away from their parents and a 14-year-old boy, is, you just know they got their own money. They're going to grocery the first time. They're not even smart enough to get a grocery cart. And, you know, they're going to get, uh, <laughs> how's it go? They're going to get um, Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts, yeah. I, that's, I, that, I, I can't believe you mentioned Pop-Tarts. I stayed with Sam Garcia uh, when he was helping me train when I was, like, 15. That's That's what I bought. I was like, I got to get something for breakfast. Hey, these look great. I've seen the ads, you know. I never... Never could have them at home. I think I'm going to pick up this box. <laughs> I heard a, I heard a comedian say about Pop Tarts is, 
the thing about pop tarts is you can be really lazy. You don't even have to go get any milk. You know, you just if you're, <laughs> if you're having the sugar cereal. Uh, no, I have some fun. If we haven't been doing that. Maybe next summer, I get, you, know, you know, go back to more of a camp format, larger groups, do it at a resort. You know, we have so many students that are based here and there, and I, I love to uh, do that with cereal. Okay, let's name cereal. You know, say you have, you know, it's maybe just a small group at a camp, like thirty-five kids, and it's okay. Round one, you just go from one kid to the next. It's a rainy day, and they can name thirty-five sugar cereals. Boom, and then you go second round. You know, with that with that size group, you may not get through the second round, but you say, okay, we're stumped. Now let's start with candy. You know, it's pouring outside and it's, it's, it's amazing how many rounds to save, you know, 20, 30 kids. And each time it's their turn, they have to name a candy. Um, yeah, it's just with, uh, actually Flanagan, you know, there's always one story and you know, we used to use a camera that you put in a VHS to film matches and, you know, calling everybody with their last name, Flanagan, go inside, get a VHS tape. He comes out and he's got a VHS tape, but he's got a, he's climbing this ladder, which we should have had a safety net on. But he climbs the ladder. He's got a pop tart in his mouth, and uh, he has a nutritionist working for him at his performance center. So I told Flanagan, I said, I won't tell this nice, nice lady, this professional, this expert that uh, you used to be the pop tart king. With, um, you know, actually, uh, you, you guys, uh, I mean, there was like a Megan Broderick. I mean, she became a really good tennis player. She was top 10 in the country. Uh, she, was, she was great. I mean, yeah. You know, she could run. She's a, from a family of runners. And you guys from upstate, you know, you come down here. I mean, she's from Wisconsin, but she, they brought her down to, you know, Mike Larshide. They they came to Florida before Mike Larshide. He was their first coach. And then I, I was hired by a company, com, clubs. I was hired by a club, I should say, to, just helped them with their short list of interviewing three people. And so he, then he moved to Tampa, but she was spent so much time working with us, but it was great that, you know, Larshide had so much to do with her tennis. He started her off and he, and she, their family came first, family of runners. And, um, I mean, she just was a machine. But so I you, remember you said you could never mention a workout around her because she would do it like six times a day, you know, that like, seven-minute yeah, abs yeah. or whatever, you, you, you know, we, we would try to get through it once, and she was doing it for like an hour a day. Yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah um, was, I think a Lauren Embry. I mean, there's so many times where she was playing Lauren Embry, and Lauren Embry just had those intangibles. She's a gal. I think she's coaching as assistant at the University of Florida, and um, they had a brother who played, maybe a little bit older than my two boys, but it used to, I think... Lauren Embry might have been the same age as one as Mikhail, perhaps. But so I used to see her and her brother play quite a bit, and I think Rosie with Graham wouldn't be the brother and her. But you'll have to have, have to go back and correct me uh, with all my grammar on this uh, podcast. But with, with, uh, I'm assuming this could be edited later. I'm hoping because uh, yeah, right. just, just on length, you know. I think <laughs> I think we got a 10 minute package here after after this two hours. With, um, but, but, but Megan Broderick, I mean, we had college athletes, Ohio State, Illinois, where she would be a pacer for them because we would run, run you know, intervals. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they brought her get up here. And, but I think also, too, so, so for you and um, 
the others that had not played that much tennis is pretty humbling. I think the the best thing is the Jim Lair, to sum this up, is the Jim Lair competitive circle are in the center. Are you challenged or are you threatened? Yes. Yes. And, that, know, was, so that was great. You're, you're coming from the snowbanks of, the, of New England. You've played three different sports growing up. You haven't played that much tennis and you're playing somebody that we've been working with since she was nine and she's a machine and she can really run. I mean, I remember Luke Wickham, what a fantastic guy. He used to just wonder broader things go right from here to the tour. And she was just a little off on the mental part, you know, the, the intangibles. I mean, she, I mean, she was a really good tennis player. Um, but you know, we all find a way to miss. Um, but I mean, the ones that are really, really at the top, they execute, they, they make shots. But so anyway, that you guys, would, yeah. you guys would have come, would have been coming in and being threatened. You know, then you have someone like Raven Clausen. Um, you know, he didn't play tennis for, he didn't play any competitive tennis for perhaps the first six months. Liberty Svecki, I made a videotape for her and told her dad, um, after she plays the Orange Bowl, if you want to do it, what's on the tape, and this Russian coach has said, hey, go, go see this guy. But for months and months, you know, she, we took the cardboard box um, and, you know, you can even take the, uh, you can do it with not heavy cardboard, but if you take paper towels and you take, you know, it's like say three, um, three of those and you take the scissors and it's, uh, it's not really that heavy. So she had that on her arm to keep on the backhand side, lefty, but keep the left arm straight. But I remember with the grip right. on her index finger, um, you could see whether it was heads or tails because we put a dime on her grip. And um, yeah, you know, it always changed things up. Back then we had people for, it wasn't like, I mean, we did, but it wasn't like people came in for two weeks. You know, so it was, I think that's- I mean, all of us, we were there for forever. I mean, it was months, right? Well, that's where you took a year off. You're, you know, maybe you went home for Christmas, but you'd taken a year off. And but I mean, like the local guys too, they just kept coming, you know, everybody yeah, was there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly we did some of that. I mean, I think way back when I was teaching tennis in the eighties, I mean, I was a volunteer in the seventies. I taught, you know, I was on a professional staff in the seventies, but first as volunteer. And, but by the eighties, um, when I was in Tyler, Texas, a little bit, but very, very um, a few visitors would, would come and say, you know, you're that homegrown grassroot, you know, let's see what you can produce right from your backyard. And of course here in Florida, I think, I think so many places in your, you know, small towns in Connecticut, there's somebody out there merchant of flesh with a business card at a tournament. Like the kid's very good. Everybody wants to be the third base coach. You know, this kid may, this, right, this, right, this, right. this kid may score. Um, what else you got, Posey? I don't know, man. I think we, we've, uh, I could go on for hours with you, but I, I think we've exceeded our, well, you're our, so, you're so humble I'm here for the listeners by like an hour and a half. But with the, the legend of Posey though, I remember John Doran who played at Harvard and you know, by the time. Oh, I definitely, definitely remember that guy. And um, Stuart Doyle had told him to come and see me. And by the, by the time I ran into him, he, he didn't come to see me. And um, I was at a tournament. And I said, John Doran, you're supposed to come and see me. 
Stuart Doyle. And I can remember he played at Harvard. He played on the same team with James Blake. Of course, it was on clay. And I remember Riley to Harvard. He helped us out quite a bit because he, I always embellish it saying he rode his bicycle over from uh, Jesuit. But, you know, he, that was probably by the time was his grandfather, grandmother arranged where he had a car. So he, he drives over and he beats Doran. You know, we've got it on film. And um, yeah. I can remember really, it was way past midnight. It was I mean, really, it was closer to two in the morning. And we're going through film at HCC. And, you know, I had to break the ego a little bit. You know, Harvard grad, great, good-looking guy. And you know, he's like 250 in the world at that time. He actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually was at that. He went back later and got an MBA. But he, he took some job, some Wall Street job, some big job, whatever. In fact, I know his brother Garrett spent time with us. I understand he's doing really, really well. I love Garrett. He's People find out. Oh, great guy! Find, found out he went to Harvard, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm the dumbest person who ever went to Harvard." But uh, <laughs> but John Doran at one time he said uh, he just said, "I got an announcement to make." You know, all of us are eating Subway or whatever, and a couple of picnic tables are filled, and and he, he said, "Everybody here needs to quit tennis in five years." And I, you know, I go, "Why is that?" He goes, "Because Posey's going to beat everybody because <laughs> you just were Mister Backboard." Um, I remember you asked him, uh, we, he was playing the Harbor Island tournament and you, and you go, so after you're, after you're done playing, you think you're going to, you're going to run this tournament someday. And he goes, no, nah, I'm going to sponsor it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. He, so that was pretty good. he went back to work, but he still was good enough to be called up to play Davis cup. But it was really, it was amazing. So play, play for Ireland. Yeah, yeah, of course. So he, he, yeah. he I'm not sure, uh, you know, name some big companies. You give me three, it's going to be one of them. So he's, he's working for, for a company and right away. And, um, but he, he's playing Davis Cup. He changed his stroke, so he made the changes. He, he made the changes. Um, really? You saw him play later and he, he done. Yeah, no, he stayed after it. And, um, you know, young Gareth, young Gareth uh, he just never conquered the backhand, you know. But, you know, he, like a lot of the Irish, uh, Gareth definitely had the rugby mentality. Um, you know, when, when you talk to someone, Paul McDonald, yeah. intellectual, very smart guy in tennis, who's been based in Chicago forever. You know, once you spend some time with someone, um, the stories that come back, um, it, it, it's... You know, the backstories are more fun than the, the upfront up front stories. Right, right. With, uh, you were there when my son, Mikhail, was a machine, right? Oh, my God. That was, you were talking about the, uh, what was it, challenged or threatened or whatever. That, <laughs> that was, that was, that was the one for me. You had, you had me play him, like, like the second day I got there. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, uh, I mean. I don't know, you're 19, you're kind of just so clueless about tennis that you're like, I mean, I, I really was thinking, like, I'm going to... Listeners, I apologize. First time ever. We uh, make all sorts of mistakes, my mistakes, that we lost Posey, but Posey's back. Yeah, we, we were just talking about my son, Mikhail. Um, you know, he, he was a machine uh, early on, and um, I'll, I, go ahead. I think he, he still has probably the greatest two-handed backhand I've ever seen. 
Uh, I, I feel like really for me it was it was him, Agassi, and <laughs> I don't know, maybe Kafelnikov. I don't know. You could you could probably name a few more, but uh, yeah, I, uh, he was. You know, I'm sure he still is an incredible player. Uh, Mikhail, you know, yeah, he knocks it around. Actually, knocks it around a little bit with Roberto's daughter, Jackie. She who played it played at Amherst. Oh, who also a beautiful player. Yeah, she yeah, it's about well. But Mikhail, um, you know, just one quick story um, with Kayvon Karimi was uh, number one in Texas. I guess twelve and under is Mikhail. One in Florida. I mean, ranked very high. You know, maybe it was 10, 11. Um, you know, they were beating small college tennis players. They could just get a lot of balls. Uh, like like, like me. <laughs> so so yeah. anyway, um, they're playing. And I was talking to Q, the father of Kayvon, who did play at A&M. It was interesting. They, they sent him to me after his freshman year. Um, and, you know, he had a really good forehand and, but it was very much, just much, very much a, a a player with a baseline game and needed some work. And he, he, did, yeah, he went, I remember that guy. He went to Steve Denton, who you know he's certainly, you know, he hired me years ago, and he is very positive about what we do. So anyway, my son Connor was playing and getting beat by both Kayvon and Mikhail. And I was trying to tell the dad, I go, well, you know, he's missing volleys and he's missing overheads. He's coming in. Um, right. With, but anyway, Mikhail, now he's, uh, maybe he's 6'1". He's tall and lean and looks like a cross-country runner. And, so, you know, it's great. He can knock the ball around. He has a hard time finding, you know, a lot of just social players who can hit a little bit. Um, but we were with Vic. And, you know, my, my kids were very fortunate to spend a lot of time with Vic. And Vic is maybe five six, five seven. Uh, he's not very tall. The late Vic Braden was not very tall. I had no idea. Rainy day in Orlando it worked out. We went to an IHOP, and he said to Mikhail, because Mikhail, you know, he stopped playing at one point, and uh, you know, he looked back and go, he, he never really learned to lose. And that's you know, it. He won so many matches. He just like any loss was just like. But but on, on yeah, but, anyway, on, but unlike most little kids, I mean, he he was schooled on how to hit a volley, how to hit an overhead. Again, he works so much with Vic. So this rainy day, um, it's just the three of us, and I had no idea what Mikhail would say to Vic. And, and Vic said uh, again, five foot six, Vic Braden said, Mikhail, what's the problem? And he goes, I'm short. <laughs> and Vic looked at him and goes, You're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, but there was quite a few uh, of the little kids. We had the courts where um, we would do a move up, move down. Some people call it up the river, down the river. And we had the seven hard courts in the back, and we would put the little kids on the top courts in the back, and they would play move up, move down. And then when they eventually, you know, they lose on seven courts, so they've lost seven times. They're going back and forth. Maybe they lost more than seven times. But then they fed into the technical courts. But then we put the older advanced kids on the technical courts, and then they did that first, and they they worked their way up to the. So that that was there's so many things about that facility that were they were quite fun. Um, but yeah, you got to work on your novel, Posey. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's good. someday it's my it's, it's the eternal project, but it's uh, well, got to be done. If I can't do it, I'm going to turn over all my notes to a good writer. And uh, <laughs> if you've, uh, I'm talking about so, your, somebody's got to write the book. Well, let's go just quickly for our listeners. We'll wrap it up. The uh, um, the coloring book, boom, that was one. The Vic Braden, the late Vic Braden, is missed and unfortunately was missed. And that's not, you know, he, he influenced millions and millions of people, but, um, you know, his, his work is and always will be relevant um, with, um, you know, so I'm really teasing about your novel, but, uh, you know, I, I, I know you told me that you were writing it with some ideas from all those years you trained with us. Um, put you on the spot, Posey, you wrap it up. What would be your message to, uh, the followers of the, the great base tennis podcast? Uh, you're, you're throwing it to me like Roberto, uh, for the, <laughs> for the final, uh, great. Yeah. Uh, you're the last guy to speak. The last word. Uh, I need to shut up. God, man. I like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's hard to sum up all that, um, all the stuff from that time, basically the only thing I can sort of think of is uh, just a personal note. I just feel like that was some of the best best times of my life being down there. You know, I just, uh, it's just something about being in a place where everybody is so into something and, and it's sort of something kind of pure about it, you know, and just, um, and just, being around a bunch of people starting with you. I, I mean, obviously that's why it was like that, but, um, yeah, I feel like it, I haven't always been able to live up to it, you know, but I feel like it, it, it was a sort of ideal at least to, to have ever, ever since, you know, um, and I just can't, I, I really can't imagine how things would have been if I hadn't gotten to be down there for those, you know, 10 or 15 years. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it was a long time. Um, I mean, certainly it was a long certain, time, but... Certainly to come back and, and visit with... You know, there's so many things when you think about, you know, a lot of the local players would play on the clay in the morning, but we had access to all those hard courts. And actually in Florida, it's amazing that a lot of adults, they just don't want to play on hard courts. And, you know, so 16 hard courts at that time and backboards. Uh, but to have, you know, I think that's great when you get a, a number of people that are passionate about simply, you know, a sport, extracurricular pursuit and getting better and getting better. Um, I feel like it could be anything almost, you know, um, it just happened to be tennis, but just that, yeah, that you sort of, you set a sort of arbitrary goal and then you uh, it's sort of the, the pursuing it part that anyway, Mike, yeah, the yeah, end, yeah, yeah. Mike McLaughlin who has been a guest on our podcast. Uh, actually, uh, you know, he's the one who made the arrangements. I just had uh, like say 125 books uh, sent to me from Vic's library because the tennis channel wasn't interested in the books. Yeah, that's great. But, um, but Vic was into all sports. Vic was into all sports and, you know, the formula um, for tennis, I like that word formula is that um, 
And Welby Van Horn was the one to use that all the time. Here's the formula. Follow the formula. And with that, it works for all sports. You got to, you know, ideally start early. Got to become an athlete. But you have to have fundamentals. You have to have fundamentals. And, you know, so that's where um, not everybody starts in the same position. You know, did this person start early? Uh, did this bar- person start early with proper fundamentals? Um, but no, it was a fun time. I, um, you know, I, I think that there'd be so many different ways to capture um, things that we were doing and we still were still do to this day. Um, but you guys were so passionate for our listeners to hear this is just have a basket. On, you know, we had 16 baskets of balls because we had 16 hard courts. And you could have 16, right. 16 courts feeding the tiebreaker test. Right. You know, it could just be two or three kids on a court. Everybody was taught to feed. Everybody had to be able to feed a ball. I mean, obviously the tiny tykes, no. The early child development group, no. Um, all right, everybody, we're going to hit, um, you know, and you, you can get 10-year-olds to feed balls. I mean, everybody, we're going to hit 100 overheads. You know, and the, we're going to hit sets of 10. You're going to hit 100 overheads off the bounce. And, you know, again, don't downplay for you to go back and make the team and be in the lineup at Bowdoin. That's good for our listeners to hear that you got cut, you know, slapped across the face and sorry, kid, you're off the team. That's probably the toughest thing in sport. You know, so our, I mean, I think if I were to say one, you know, gem from this podcast is here's a guy who got cut and came back and said, hey, I need another try. This is what I did. I went for, away for a year and I've changed my game. I've built my game. And um, I mean, it's Bowden's not Wimbledon, but I, I mean, I don't. <laughs> but right there, you know. But the, 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 yeah. the you know, so many kids. Uh, I mean, I've got, that's pet peeve number 972 that, I mean, I get it all day long with these kids who love tennis and they turn their nose up at division three. I go, don't, don't do that. You know, for you to be at a team, be on a team where you get to play tennis, you got a coach helping you every day. And at the, yeah, same, at yeah. the same time, I mean, Bowden, obviously you got a great education. What a great place to be. And um, yeah, I mean that, I mean, I, I always go, the toughest thing is to be cut. Second is you make the team, but you don't travel. Third is you make, right, make right. the team, you travel, but you don't play. Um, you know, then it's like, well, no, you're just playing doubles or, you know, you're not in the singles lineup. I tell kids all the time, and listeners to hear this, and for the parents go, hey, we got to go to work. Nutrition, flexibility, stamina, we got to go to work. Because I've seen this happen too many times where it's, a, it's parents' day and the parents come to visit and the kids um, who don't play they sit in the bleachers next to their parents. You know, in the sport I grew up in, ice hockey, if, if, huh. if you're not dressing, you're in the press box. You know, you're not sitting with your parents. And right, right, right. But so, you know, these podcasts we have, um, that, but that would be one is, uh, you know, now, and I talk to kids about being cut. I even ask them and go, what's it mean to be cut? And they think that, you know, they got to get a Band-Aid, that they're going to be bleeding. But your, your name's on a list, your name's on a list, and then it's cut off. But actually, even in tournament play, you know, you want to play this tournament, you'll hear, you know, like Max Cressy's name was brought up, and 
doing so well, but here's an expression you hear a guy like Max Christie's obviously said this many a time. I didn't make the cut. Yeah. 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 I, I want to play that tournament, but I didn't make the cut. And that's another thing that's come out of this. Um, you know, Max Cressy's uh six, six and, uh, you know, he basically, it's the same story as yours is that people didn't think he was going to make it. And you know, that person. I think Cressy and I, yeah, it's basically the same story, right? <laughs> I think, I think, I think even though he's the, got the a, first part, the first part. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, even though he has a little height on you, I think you have a lot more, you know, physical abilities, but, um, I'll, I'll see him when we're both, we're both like 85. I think, you know, that's, that's to be my time. That's what Vic says, you know, his, his knees breaking down, you know, I'll just, just wear him out. You know, another Braden is when I know you were fortunate enough to meet Vic several times. Uh, you tell a 15 year old, you got 75 years to work on your game. Let's go. One last thing. Uh, you had a chance to be, to meet Vic and work with Vic. What's if you were to say one thing about Braden that we just, would it, you know, it'd just be fun to hear, but also too, is, uh, we got to get people to, uh, go back and, you know, again, the Braden contributions should never be lost. It's a treasure. What's well, what, I think what you got for Uncle Vic. I mean, in person, it was, he was just the greatest guy. I could just sort of tell, um, just what a, what a wonderful person he was, you know, but just, um, I mean, here he, at the time I knew him, he was—he had to be like seventy, at least, I think, and he's still out there, like teaching guys like me, like on video, and it's just like he didn't stop, you know. Um, but uh, uh, just to, with this with this tennis, I, I just remember that tape that that you had me watch, and I remember the first time watching it, and I'm just like as you'd say, sort of ignorant and arrogant, and I'm looking at him like, I don't know. I mean, um, you go, yeah, that's right. You you don't know, but... Uh, what, what tape are you referring he just, to? He, he, this was just, you had me watch, like, like there, there was one that I kept going back to. It was like the, the, the physics, something like the physics of tennis or something, but there's a, there's a serve tape. Yeah, okay. Uh, go for, yeah. I was obsessed with the serve tape because of the, you know, thinking, okay, I get the serve, and I've, I've got it, and uh, but the first time I watched it, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, do you really have to toss so low? And do you have to, I still think you have to like spring up into the ball with you anyway, all these completely ludicrous ideas. But, um, and I just, I kept watching it and watching it. And I, I feel like, like the seventh or eighth time, I'm like, I, I started like seeing something in it finally. And I'm like, every time I saw that tape at first, it just, seemed so sort of basic and the way he'd sort of laugh as he'd see, you know, do this and pack your bags for Wimbledon and you're kind of like, okay, you know, but, uh, and I just realized how much was in there, but it was sort of disguised in his kind of, you know, humorous presentation, you know, um, but I, that, 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 that's the, that's the thing I'd say on him. If you, if you can get any access to those tapes, you know, uh, just, Give them a shot. There's just so much great stuff in there. No, it's great. To, uh, pearls of wisdom, you know, with Vic, you know, you toss high, you have more time to be crummy. Yeah. yeah. Then the, the rationale and lowing out to the right, uh, if you're right-handed, lowing out to the left, you're left-handed. But 
Yeah, I think that's the key word. Then if someone can show you a better way, if someone has the logic and, and the science behind it, you know, I'm always telling kids, just go with logic and science. Just go with the rationale. Don't don't be a YouTube wonder. Um, right, this right. Summer, this it's so summer. hard not to because it's just there's so much, you know. every yeah, you can. This summer, uh, you know, young guy's doing really well academically. He takes all these AP classes. And you have a backhand that's outside in. You know, Vic Braden, you have the limbs of a little kid. You know, your hands are in front of your belly button. Yeah, yeah. The ball doesn't go like a bicycle tire. You're hitting side spin. You're pulling outside in. And then, you know, they come back, but I was watching Djokovic. And, yeah, watch Djokovic. He's got an amazing backhand. But, um, you know, yeah, he's got an amazing backhand. But it's it's not as good as McHale's, man. No, 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 no. But uh, Mikhail, he's like you. He, he, he would not want to, um, you know, be, hear any praise, but be edified. But anyway, yeah, Vic Braden, uh, is the pearls of wisdom. But Posey, yeah, it was fun. Uh, loved, great to talk to you. I hope our listeners, uh, I'm sure they will um, find value in this. And uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we really captured the the legend of Posey. Um, Roberto tells us. Well, they, Roberto tells there could always be follow-ups, you know. I'm sure they yeah, haven't yeah. had enough yet, you know. Roberto <laughs> tells a story that you were so polite at Tampa Airport. Um, you are no, we're no, you know, we're practicing, and you you walk from the Tampa Airport, and as the crow flies, it's not very far, but you had to walk. I mean, if people know how you get from HCC to the Tampa Airport, and uh, but uh, you know, Roberto makes it the legend where. You know, I was probably sprinting with a bag, and yeah, with, yeah. with the bag, sprinting for four hours. I mean, that's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. this is more a story about my bad sense of direction than uh, her geography than being polite. I thought, oh, it's probably like two minutes. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> like, oh wait, I can't get there. All these fences in the way and runways, and yeah, yeah. You only have to, you only have to say one thing right. though, like with your sister Judy, that uh, she shows up to visit, and uh, she's giving you a hard time. He goes, John, she didn't like your shoulder bag for our listeners. I think this is the last thing. It's the best thing is your shoulder bag was a garbage bag. That was, that was good. <laughs> you, 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 uh, very unassuming. You, uh, yeah, you had a garbage bag as a shoulder bag, but Posey, thanks for the time. Thanks for doing this. Uh, hey, thank you, man. It was fun talking tennis with you. Thanks again. Uh, anytime. Adi- All right. See you. Yeah. Adios. All right, listeners, I apologize. Um, we had a little hiccup in the beginning. I know the editing team, uh, our helpers will take care of that. But uh, Posey, you know, again, I just think uh, the story about being cut, being cut, and it's like, hey, go home, come back next year. And um, yeah, do that, come back next year. But take it to heart and go, I, I can improve. I can improve. Um with, you know, one thing we mentioned with uh, Medvedev and Solomon in a discussion today, Harold Tom was saying, well, the, where I was from in the Maryland, Washington, D.C. area, no one really believed in my game. No one believed in me. And Medvedev says the same thing. Um, so number one for a player is inner belief system. Number two is their work ethic. And number three, this is in our corner of the world, is knowledge. Knowledge, but... Anyway, 110 is in the book. Thanks for listening. Again, adios amigos.